Good evening. This uh, shiur, this lecture will be Lerfuat Adelia Agilo Bat Rachel Chaim Meir Ben Atara and Lerfuat of Miriam Bat Isidra Ramirez and uh, also Odaya Lehashem for Mia Yafa Shendel Bat Rivka. And also לילוי נשמת אברהם בן אדיזוי, שמחה בן הודה, אין לרפואה שלמה אבגילי בתיקי גרנט בן רחל חיה. בעזרת השם. טוב, ברוך השם. More than, more than 45 days. Many, many soldiers are dying, unfortunately. But when we look at the entire picture, you have to, to be blind not to see the miracle of Hashem. It could have been, chas shalom, over a thousand dead in a place like this, with so many booby traps and tunnels and missiles against tanks that they shoot So it's still with a lot of mercy. And every person that died, it was written on Rosh Hashanah, he has to die. And what would happen if there's not going to be a war? There's no war now. All these 1,400 people, or 1,200, that died, they will still die, or they died because of the war? The answer, they will still die. They had to die. We are very angry, very upset, very sad, and hurt that they all died. But why are we hurt? Why are we upset? Why are we so angry? Because they got killed by filthy murderers, Nazi Arabs. So it hurts our ego. These lowlifes are killing us like we sheep. There's nothing we can do about it. They don't, they don't care. They come, they kill. They know they're going to get killed. They brainwash them in such a way that they think they go to heaven, these fools. They don't understand that to murder a person, especially civilians, it's against the Ten Commandments. It's against the seven laws of Noah. This is what I've always been telling people. Ignorance is the biggest danger in the life of a human being. If a Gentile will know what punishment is waiting for him for killing someone, anyone, Anyone, any Gentile who killed another Gentile, or needless to say, killed a Jew. If you would know what hell is waiting for him and how many years he's going to be burned and screamed to death from the pain that is waiting for him. And they think, wow, we're so lucky we got to kill a Jew. Wait, it's what's waiting for them, but they don't know it. Their ignorance is our tragedy. If we were able to educate them, then it will be a whole different story. However, like the Hafez Chaim say, there is no way to make the children of Ishmael civilized. It's against God's will. God decreed that this Ishmael will be a wild beast. All his children will all be wild beasts, whether they are drivers, whether they are lawyers, doctors, athletes, It doesn't matter. It's in their DNA, it's in their genes that they will be wild beasts. 
So it doesn't really matter, even if the person will be a doctor or anything like that, you will see, you get him angry in the right moment, you see the beast is coming out. Why? This is what God said so. And what about Esav? There's also a decree on Esav, which we read on Shabbat. You're going to live by your sword. I want to remind you that with all the horrible hate that Ishmael has to the nation of Israel, as many Jews as they killed in the history of the world is not even 1% than how many the Christians killed. It's true that the Christians today don't use violence like they used to 500 years ago in Spain, in Portugal. They used to murder thousands of people every week. But today they found out there's no way to physically break the Jews. No matter how much you torture them, no matter how much you kill them, they will never leave their God. In the end, they all run back to him. They won't convert to Christianity just because you torture them in Inquisition or in some basements of church, or you take away their money, or you throw them to exile. In the end, they always go back to their God. And even when they pretend to be Christians from the outside, indoor, they are keeping the laws of the Torah and even risking their life for it. So the Christians got the point. So what do they do? They change their tactics. Now they come with a smooth mouth and spill tons of money, billions of dollars they pour to get as many Jews as they can to convert them to Christianity. That's the reason why I made my debate with a Christian professor many years ago, because people kept coming to me and saying, this Russian guy, this Bukharian guy, this Kafkazi guy, they all have been hunted by Christian missionaries. And as a result of that, they want to become Christians or Jews for JC. What are we going to do about it? Can you talk to my cousin? Can you talk to my ex-husband? Can you talk to my son? Can you talk to my father? I realize this is a phenomenon. This is a routine thing. So we just came out with this debate for every normal person to watch it and to see that Christianity has nothing to offer. It's a bunch of nonsense. You have to be super stupid to follow this religion. If you really know what the religion has in it, I can't believe that anyone wastes time on it. It's such a ridiculous religion. So many mistakes, so many human errors, so many ridiculous things that are written over there. I spoke about it many times in the past. No, I don't want to waste time on it. So they found that many naive Jews, ignorant Jews, since they do not know anything about their religion, it's very easy to convert them to Christianity because anyway they are an empty tool. They're empty. So they, we, whatever we push in, they'll buy, especially when it comes with lots of benefits and money. Do you need help with the mortgage? You need help with the rent? You need help with food? You need help with the car? No problem, come on Sunday. Register, start coming, we will help you out financially. But they have tons of money. Tons of money they have. And as a result of that, you know, they have, Baruch uh, Hashem, unfortunately for us, they don't have uh, any problems. If I remember Bill Clinton was one of the people who raised so many millions for them. 
in phone calls, few phone calls, million, two million, five million. They make fundraising. When they have uh, some of those priests that talks, they have people online donate for them, you see the numbers. In, a, in one night, they collect millions of dollars. You know, it's not like us. The end of the night, the envelope has $50. It's different over there. It's millions of dollars in a night. Why? Because the Satan makes sure that all the money in the world will go to fake causes. Even among Judaism, by the way, it's not only between Judaism and other fake religions. It's also among Judaism, it's divided to groups. Some groups raise a lot more money than others and very, very easy. There's a reason for it. So anyone who raises funds easily and tons of funds, if you dig well who these people are, you will find out that that's not what Judaism is supposed to be. When you finally have a good kosher yeshiva, serious Bnei Torah, give their life for the Torah, go, Yerushalayim, Bnei Brak, all over Israel. See the buildings, see the leaks, no money for air condition. Sometimes three, four days there's no coffee, coffee in the kitchen. Everything is old, everything is broken. Why? No money. If it's pouring rain, half of the yeshiva is flooded. Why? Thank God we have a place to learn. Hey, what do you expect? A $30 million building? The fancier the place is, the more money goes there easy, millions, 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 there's no Kedusha over there. Places of Kedusha, it's very hard to get money for it. Very hard. And uh, especially when you have today in the world, as you can see, you have uh, all kinds of speakers, politicians, priests, Muslim speakers, Jewish speakers, all kinds, motivational speakers. The more fake it is, the more followers they have. The more fake, the more followers. A few times in the past, I wanted to know what these motivational speakers have, that they have hundreds of millions of followers. They sell millions of books every month. What do they have? Started to listen to a few minutes of their talks. Basically, everything that they speak about is nonsense. Once in a while, they speak about something that is true. But a lot of the things they talk about not only doesn't help the person, it's actually damaged his soul, even to Gentiles. One of them, Nevashal, said, You have to love yourself. Whatever you do, you have to be love and be complete with that, yeah? If you're a serial killer, you have to love yourself and to be complete with what you do, killing people. If you're a rapist, you have to be complete and love what you do. If you're a big thief, everything you eat is stolen. You have to love yourself. If you rebel against God, you're an atheist infidel. You have to be complete with yourself. You beat up your wife, break her bones every week and break the, ch the bones of your children. You have to love yourself, to be complete with yourself. It's baloney, it's nonsense. i give you another example. Think positive, it will be positive. Another nonsense. You can think positive all you want. If you're Mechalel Shabbat, you're gonna have 5,000 years of Genom. It's not gonna help you to think positive. You can think as much as you want positive. Shem loves me, I'm a tzaddik. You tzaddik, you Mechalel Shabbat. Chalel Shabbat, it's 100% like an Anjou. 
and lose his share to the world to come. His soul is going to be cut permanently from the afterlife. What is it going to help him to think positive? A person is a mass killer, killing people, doing all kinds of horrible things to innocent people. But he feels great about himself. His ego is all the way to the, to the sky. He thinks very good about what he does. He believes in what he does. But what if God doesn't approve? How is it going to help him to think positive? That's baloney. People make up things that they know they will find customers for. Another uh, example. God loves you. God loves everyone. Don't worry about it. There's no such thing. There's nothing bad come from God. He loves every person. We're all equal. He loves all of us. Yes, he loves Amalek. If he loves Amalek, why there is a commandment in the Torah to wipe them out? Not to have mercy even on their children? If he loves them so much, my understanding is if you love someone, you want him to live and have a great life. Not that he will be hunted by everyone who sees him and wants to kill him. Right? If you love someone, if God loves someone, he wouldn't write in his book that he hates him. Because God is not a liar. It's written, Et Yaakov Avti, Ve'et Esav Saneti. I love Jacob, and I hate Esav. It's a clear verse in the Torah. Who is the fool who will dare to modify the divine book and promise the wicked people that God loves them? Mele, he contradicts the Rambam in Ilchot Shuvah, no? Chapter 7 there. Okay, contradict the Rambam. But to contradict God? Directly a verse in the Tanakh? So you see that a lot of this cheap philosophy that you buy from all these motivational speakers and many modern Jewish speakers on YouTube, you can shove directly into the garbage can. It doesn't even worth the paper that it's been written on. The paper is more valuable than the nonsense they sell. So you got to be very careful. Oh, you want to buy a treasure? I told you where to go. Rabbi Avigdor Miller. Any one of his books is a treasure. Every word, every line, every chapter. Nothing can go wrong there. Once a person is holy and solid and straight, and his ashkafa is built up by decades of learning and kedusha and, and devotion, there's nothing can go wrong. Then you know from Shamaim they help the holy tzaddik always to aim to the truth. If you're down to earth, if you're humble, you don't consider yourself anything, you don't dress all kinds of show-off, you don't have people who hold your hand, take you around in a fancy car, you know, people wait online to kiss your hand, all this nonsense, you are nothing. Like Rav Moshe Feinstein, the biggest rabbi in Alachai in the world, complete down to earth, so humble. He didn't consider himself anything. Many other have been seen Abba Shaul. If you wouldn't know, he's one of the biggest rabbis in the world, you would think he's selling vegetables in Machne Yehuda. That's how he looked. He never ever pretended to be a big shot, Avbedin, the head of the, of the Jewish court of Jerusalem. I remember one time, he, wanted, he had to go to a wedding of one of the students from the yeshiva, and everyone already left. So there was only two guys left in the yeshiva. He asked, anyone goes to the wedding? One of them said, I go. He said, you have a car? He said, I have a Vespa. You know what a Vespa means? A scooter with a boat attached to it. You know? The old days, they used to have it. Like a motorcycle, and another chair is attached on the side. 
So when you sit there, everybody sees you. It's open. He didn't know what it is. So he said to him, he drives, he said, can, you can give me a ride to the wedding? He said, yes. They went down. He said, Rabbi, sit over here. He said, made him sit. They started to drive in Yerushalayim. All the people of Yerushalayim recognized the holy rabbi sitting in a Vespa like this, in the street, started to point. Immediately he realized that something is not right here, because he was so humble, he didn't understand that there's a problem for such an important person to sit in such a, <laughs> such a ridiculous Vespa. You know? Wow, the minute he realized that people are shocked when they're pointing at him. Here is Rav Ben-Zion, Abba Shaul, Rav Ben-Zion, Abba Shaul, I can't believe it. He heard someone saying, how can it be? Wow, he screamed to the driver, stop, stop the car. He came out, started to cry in the street. What happened, Rabbi? He said, I just made Chilul Hashem. I didn't know that it's uh, this, this... This car, this Vespa, it's a Chilul Hashem. I didn't realize it. Now, I just now realize people, people were, you know, making fun, laughing. But he was so down to earth, he didn't understand. He gave him a Mercedes, he gave him a Ferrari, he gave him a Vespa. For him, it doesn't make a difference. He never cared anyway about materialism. All his life was Torah and holiness and Irat Shamayim. And Chazal already told us everything in one sentence. Kol shi'irato kodemet lechokhmato, chokhmato mitkayemet. Vekol shechokhmato kodemet lirato, en chokhmato mitkayemet. Translation. In life you have two very important things. Wisdom, personal wisdom, and God-fearing level. What is your God-fearing level? From zero to a hundred percent. Some people, it's zero percent. Some people, five percent. Some people, twenty percent. Some people, eighty percent. How many people have Irat Shamayim a hundred percent? Very few in the whole world. hundred percent? Almost not possible to find. So when you have, in one hand, you have a lot of wisdom, and on the other hand, you have a lot of Irat Shamayim. You are a very God-fearing person. If your level of God-fearing is higher than your wisdom, your wisdom will remain blessed by you forever. It will never be erased. If your wisdom is higher than your God-fearing level, meaning you're very much knowledgeable, you're very impressive when you talk, but your behavior is far away from what you preach, meaning you have no fear from committing sins, or from doing Chilul Hashem, or for not being honest with money, or with all kinds of modesty issues. So obviously, because you're not taking the religion fully serious, and you don't have fear from God, and you continue to commit sins on a daily basis, even though you put tens of years of learning, and you have so much knowledge, because your knowledge is higher than your fear from God, your knowledge will be all gone eventually. Slowly, slowly, you will see, you forget everything. None of it will remain. Why? The glue that stick your wisdom permanently to your soul is Irat Shamayim. And that's what's written in the Torah in one verse. What is your God asking from you, after all? 
What am I asking from you? What do you mean? You have a, a whole book, 304,805 letters. You're asking for a lot. But who am I to argue with God? If God says, I'm asking for me only one thing, one thing, that's it. What am I asking from you? Ki'im. Ki'im means only one thing. What? To fear God. To love Him, to follow Him, to follow His path. That's all. Since the Kadosh Baruch created the world, what does He have left in His world? A person stands in a place the place that he's considered staying there is around him Arba Amot. Arba Amot is about six feet, roughly, in radius. You know? Same thing if you do Birkat Amazon. Let's say you sit in one place. You went to the bathroom in a shul. Someone sat in your seat. You're supposed to do Birkat Amazon where you're sitting. But now, as an older person, or as a rabbi, as Tamit Chacham, you're embarrassed to tell him, I have to bench here, I have to say Birkat Amazon. You can sit next to him. As long as he's Arba Amot around, it's considered the same place. Same thing in synagogue. You have your place. A guest came for Shabbat. You came a little bit late to the davening. He didn't know that this place is taken. He sat in your place. But it's very important for you to pray in the same place because you already built a channel from that place all the way to the upper world. Person has to pray in one dedicated place. But since someone there, you don't want to embarrass him now, getting him up and this and that. If you sit around it, it's considered like in your place. What happens if all the other seats are taken, you have to go to the other side? Okay, no, one time, it's not the end of the world. Better than to embarrass a person. Person said, be mochel. Don't be like these people that get angry the entire three hours, they want to kill someone because someone sat in their place. You know, let go. Be humble. You are nothing. You know, in Yom Kippur, one guy stepped on the feet, on the foot of one person in a synagogue. And that person screamed, Ay! In Israel, you know. Ah! The guy said, I'm sorry, excuse me. Chila. Ma mechila? You broke my toes. So Avin Tzion, Abba Shaul, Zatzal, came to him quietly. He whispered in his ear. It's not nice to lie on Yom Kippur davening. It's not nice all year round, but especially on Yom Kippur to lie to Hashem. Maybe it was Rosh Hashanah, I'm not sure. One of those two days. Yom Adin to lie to Hashem. The guy said, Chas v'shalom, Kvod Arav, I'm not lying in the davening. You just say, V'nafshi ke'afar lakol tiye. I am dust on the floor to everyone. They are welcome to step over me. You just said it two minutes ago. Eloi, letzor leshonim era, usfatai midaber mirmar, kalilai nafshiti dom. Those who curse me, I should be silent and don't reply. Don't respond. Venafshi keafar lakol tiye. Nafshi keafar lakol tiye. Afar means sand on the floor. <laughs> the truth is that how many people really ever in their life thought about this paragraph? You probably say that 10,000 times at least. When you say it every day, three times a day in Tfilat Shmona Do you actually mean it? 
that I should be sent and every full low life will step over my head and I should love it and say thank you and not respond and not eat him alive? We say it, but I don't exactly mean it. If it was up to me, I would take one sentence out of the Tfilat Shmonaisri. But we're not allowed to change even one letter, not from the Tfilah, not from the Gemara, not from Shulchan Aruch, and definitely not from the written Torah. We are not reform that modify the Torah according to their desires. That's why today they're worse than any go you know. <laughs> so they have no connection to Judaism whatsoever. Someone sent today a video of some reform Rebbe, women, women. American Ashkenaz reform woman singing the, read, the writing of the Torah. She lands in the Torah in Ashkenazi tune, but she's a reformit, Shem Reshaim Irkav. And whenever she came to the Psukim that God gave Abraham the land and he promised Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov the holy land, she lowered her voice to zero. Because in Machshimam, this Reshaim Arurim, if it's up to them, they would hand it to the Hamas, this reforming Arurim. They have no problem to burn the Torah if it's necessary. Why? They're liberal lefties. Not all, not all reform and conservative people are lefties. Some of them are pro-Israel and they are extreme right. Some people, they're very good when it comes to politics, but their level of knowledge in Torah is mamash below zero. Mamash to the lowest of the lowest. Like for instance, you have people that have yamaka, and they speak very good when it comes to politics. They go to colleges, they make debates, the stupid Palestinians, after two minutes, they get the shame of their life because they know how to talk. They're very clever. They have education, they have high IQ, power of speech. Many naive Jews mistakenly think that these people are religious leaders just because they have a yamaka. Make no mistake, there's zero connection between politics and religion. It's true that everything that happens to the world is religion. The fact that what you see now with the Hamas and the Arabs and what you saw with the Nazis, it's all written in the Torah. The Torah already told us that if we're going to do certain things, that's what's coming for us. So the source of it, it's already in a religion, the source. But when you come to debate all these fakers, you still need to know how to talk politically. Just because you are righty and you know how to speak and just because you have a yamaka and you put filin doesn't make you a religious figure. People sometimes ask me, wow, Rabbi, this, one, this guy is great. You know him? Look at this debate in Harvard. Look at this debate over here. Look at his speech over here. What do you think? What's the answer? As a politician, is 100% great. As a religious figure, his level is zero. For instance, one of them, one of the stars that speaks the best in America for Jewish causes, 
he is very sharp when it comes to politics. He can win an argument with him. He can't. But I saw an interview about a year ago. Someone interviewed him. He has a yamaka on his head, and he said he doesn't believe there is such a thing as soul. <laughs> I don't know if to laugh or to cry. <laughs> person put yamaka on his head, and he said in the interview he doesn't believe there is such a thing there is a soul. <laughs> the cat and the dogs know there is a soul. And you don't know the brilliant, sharp guy with the highest IQ to say such a stupid thing? So what do you see over here? Brilliance in politics, in math, in physics, in medicine, in engineering, in computers. It's completely not relevant to wisdom of Torah. Completely not relevant. The wisdom of the Torah is a whole different wisdom than any other wisdom you know. person can be a genius in math and the dumbest person in religion. A genius in computer and the biggest idiot when it comes to religion. Just because he's a great surgeon or a doctor or a philosopher or who knows what, or may, maybe own, he has $30 billion, that doesn't make him a religious figure. You have to know it, Rabotai. Please do not get confused between this and that. It's completely two different things. There's one more problem. Some of these people that are very good in politics, they actually say the truth. But what's behind it, it's false. What's behind it, it's false. Meaning, they can argue about the Jewish-Arab conflict Everything they technically say, it's true. Whatever they complain about the Hamas terrorist cruelty, it's true. About the murders of innocent people, it's true. About uh, Israel, the Israelis and this, it's true. But they don't really see the roots of the conflict. They don't understand that this started already in the time of Avraham Avinu. What you see today is after the tree already bloomed. So they look at the argument as a political argument, meaning... If we're going to wipe out the Hamas and kill 40,000 terrorists, that's it. After that, we will be happily and living in a holy land with peace and harmony. We'll find some new Palestinians that are pro-peace. They'll take over Gaza and we'll be in paradise. They live in a dream. <laughs> the Arabs are only the stick in the hand of Hashem. That's why you have two billion Arabs. You're going to get rid of 40,000 Nazi murderers. The same time you got rid of them, 400,000 were born. How dumb you could be. And you know what? Even if the Arabs will decide to go on a strike, one year, no birth. No birth. And you kill all the terrorists. What happened? Before you finish the job, you're going to have another million came out. From age zero, they educate them to murder Jews. Who is behind all of that? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the problem. People have no knowledge and no emuna. They don't understand everything you see. It's Hashem. You get angry at the Arab. You get angry at the Nazi. You get angry at the traders. You get angry at the European antisemites, the United Nations. Hashem designed the world that Esav Sonele Yaakov and that Ishmael is Pere Adam. He cannot live a minute before be without killing Jews. Hashem programmed them like that. Halakha! 
ההלכה, וחז"ל זה הלכה, עשו שונא ליעקב, כן, כן, היא כנעת גם עד עובדת קרס, עשו שונא ליעקב, that's it, it's in his genes, just like the cat hate the mouse, there's nothing you can do about it, you can try to educate the cow not to hate the mouse, good luck with that, or the dog not to hate the cat, it's never going to work. This is a, a nature, the nature that Hashem puts in the nature of that species called Ishmael and the children of Esav. And you see, in China, the Chinese people are different. Most Chinese, I was in China, nobody looked at you like they hate you. The opposite, when I walked in the, in the airport, the Chinese were coming to try to take my suitcase from me. In the beginning, I thought maybe they wanted to tip. But then my, they all told me, no, they admire Jews over here. Some of them that knows what Jews are, most of them don't even know what it is. But those who heard about Jews, those who in the airport, they are more sophisticated, more you know, advanced, they are admiring the Jews. Same thing in Korea. You go to South Korea, they look at you like a god. They even learn Talmud over there in schools. Why South Koreans don't want to kill Jews? Every time they see Jews, they don't feel like they have to kill them. Because it's not a part of the plan. Who are these uh, Orientals? The children of Avraham Avinu from Keturah. By Yosef Avraham, Vayikach Isha Ushma Keturah. Avraham had another woman, her name was Keturah. He had few children with her. And he sent them to the East. And he gave them the gifts. The Chachamim explained what gifts he gave them. The power of Kishufim. They are able to do all kinds of black magic and stuff like that. And they went to the east. They don't have any problem with us. Ishmael and Esav. I want to ask you a question. On Shabbat, Yaakov comes. He steals the bracha from Esav. Rivka gets a prophecy. She said to him, don't worry, I like you, Whatever happened, I'm responsible. I know what I'm telling you. Listen to me, you don't go wrong. You go first and get the bracha from your father. Yitzchak gives him the bracha. A few minutes later, Esav shows up. Yitzchak does the, the strangest thing you can imagine. I'm shocked when I read it. Every parent, even a goy, a non-Jew, the last thing he wants is to make a fight between two, two of his sons. He has two sons. The last thing he wants is that they should kill each other. He wants them to be in peace. What does it, Yitzchak do? He makes Esav go on fire. What are you instigating? What, are you, what do you have to tell him? Your brother came to Mirma and stole your blessing. Don't you know what's going to happen? You know he's a hunter. You know he's a violent person. You know the murder is in his hands. You already know. His Admoni was born red. You know he's very good with hunting. He's not the type to sit and learn Torah. Why are you getting him angry? Why did you have to tell them that Yaakov got the bracha? Oh, who is this? Your son, Esav. Oh, welcome. What took you so long? I went to find you something to eat. It took longer than usual. Okay, better late than never. Come, let me give you bracha. Make up some bracha and finish. For the sake of peace. Every one of us would do that. You know one person would say to the next brother, oh, I'm sorry, your brother stole your bracha. As a result of that, you're going to be cursed. 
What's going on over here? Good question, no? The answer, once he realized Yitzchak that his ideology was a mistake, he thought, I have two sons. One is naturally attracted to Torah. I don't have to worry about him. With or without me, he searched for the truth, he learns Torah. Baruch Hashem is already a fixed kid. Then I have a problematic child. All he wants is nonsense. Doesn't want to go to yeshiva, doesn't want to learn. Bayati. Off the derech. It's a problem. What will I do? I have to show him a lot of love. I want to be mekarevim. I have to show him that he's important. I have to show him extra love, more than Yaakov. Yaakov will manage without my love. He's already on the path. But what's going to happen if I'll show this Esav that I'm disappointed from his lifestyle? I would lose him completely. He would run away and I'll never see him ever again. Like this, giving him all this love, keeping him on the path, at least partially. You know, I'll give you an example, you'll understand. There was one mashgiach in yeshiva, and uh, there was one student, he asked him, where were you yesterday? You, didn't, you were not in Seder Sheni in yeshiva. Seder Sheni is in the afternoon. He said to him, I went to Kupat Cholim. I went to the hospital in Israel. And uh, the, the time is gone was 5 p.m. The Kupat Cholim closed at 3 so the students were laughing. <laughs> what a naive Rebbe. <laughs> well, he doesn't know that the Kupat Cholim closed at three. He, he left at five. Where did he go? He went to watch sport, to sleep, to do something not positive. So once everybody left, one of the students came to the Rebbe and said to him, Rebbe, you know, you're a very smart man. And I'm sure you've been by Kupat Cholim many times. And every Kupat Cholim, you know, they close at three. And he left at five yesterday. You ask him, where were you? He said to you in Kupat Cholim. You know that he was not in Kupat Cholim. So the rabbi said, of course I know. So he says, so why didn't you say anything? You let him fool you like that. He said, I'd rather let him fool me every day. That shows that he still care about my opinion. At least he's still here. If I will catch him every time he lies to me, every time he lies to me, I'll catch him and prove him in front of everyone that he's a crook. Two, three times, what will happen? He won't be able to show his face from the shame. The next thing is going to be in some gang on the street. No Shabbat, no tefillin, no kosher food, and become a drug addict. And then you find out that he died age 22. So what do I do? I let him fool me from time to time. Where were you? I was learning Hevruta with a guy. I was helping him out. Of course he knows a lie. Oh, very nice. Wow, impressive. Impressive. Can. As long as he lied to you, your son or your student, that means he cares about your opinion. The day he will come and tell you the truth in your face, that means he put an X on you. He has zero influence on him. Now you lost him for good. Same thing over here. Yitzchak knows who he's dealing with. The question now, why all of a sudden he changed his ideology? Pitom changes his ashkafa. 
Rivka thought, no, you should benefit the tzaddik. He cannot be chotev and iskar. Chazal asked this question. Someone that commits sins deserve a price for it? Chotev and iskar? That's called ayratzachta vegam yarashta. You murder someone and now you want to keep his inheritance. Let's say a son killed his father, lo alem. You want to give him the inheritance now? He deserved the bedin should give him the inheritance. So put him to execution. What? Is, no, no. Give him a give him price. Well, he killed his father. His father have three sons, three million dollars. Give him his million. Peloni. That's what I've been saying for years. Those people who mechalel Shabbat for money, barbers, business owners, service people. Rabbi, I have to work Shabbat. I will be fired. If I don't come to work, they'll fire me. Yom Tov, I can't. I have to, I have to work. They're already looking to cut, you know, jobs. People that go against God's will, against his restriction, against his warnings, and think that as results of going against Hashem that told me not to do it, I will do it in your face. And you will pay me a reward for it. They live in some kind of uh, imag- imaginary world, in a lala land. Do you really think that you can go and rebel against God, do the opposite of what the Torah say, and as results of that to see blessing in the money you made on Shabbat? In the first seminar I went to, close to 30 years ago, there was a guy, Shimon Maman, I'll never forget him. As I still look at him now like he's in front of my face. He was an Israeli secular guy working in a moving company. And he was driving a semi-trailer, you know, moving, big truck. He came to America like all Israelis in those days, came to work in moving, moving companies. And he worked on Shabbat, seven days a week. Now... One time he needed a bathroom, so he stopped in one of those gas stations, service center, went to the bathroom. Now, remember, he didn't have social security. Back then it was easy to get a job, even if you're not legal. Not like today, everybody must get social security. Back then, people pay you under the table. Yeah, like cash business. Get paid cash, no problem. So what happened? He cannot open a bank account because he doesn't have social security. So how, where does he keep all the money? On a belt. He has a belt attached to his stomach under the, the shirt. That's where all the cash he made is on him all the time, everywhere he goes. He went to the bathroom by the, by the gas station. When he got back into the truck, he got on a New Jersey turnpike. A minute, that's all. A minute, he was out of the bathroom. A minute, he was starting to drive. He came out of the gas station. The belt is gone. There was $7,000 inside the belt. About a year of work, he said, in a seminar he spoke, this Shimon Maman. He said, I went to calculate all the money I made in all the Shabbatot I worked since I arrived from Israel. Edit with the calculator. This, tak, 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 tak. How much? $7,000. Now think about it. I don't know how many Shabbatot it was, 20, 30, whatever it was. You know what a hard work is moving company? 
You have to pick up refrigerator. You have to pick up pianos. You have to send it with rope from the windows. You have to go four guys holding a huge refrigerator. Wow, breaks the, the knees, the back, the head. Such a terrible job. It used to work for about $100 and $150 a day. That was the job back then. Calculate all the Shabbatot he works with the tips and everything. Everything went down the drain. Baruch Hashem Chazar B'Tshuva became Tzadik. was coming here to the shul in Queens every Shabbat. He learned the hard way. Why should we learn the hard way? We should learn the easy way. No one ever lost from following Hashem. Even right now, it's, you see that you're losing. You could have cheated the customer and make $1,000. You just lost $1,000 for not lying. Why are you telling me I don't lose? If I would lie, I would have an extra $1,000 right now in my pocket. I did not lie. I have $1,000 less. And I did not lie all week, so I lost $3,000 from customer who walked out. So why, Rabbi, you are telling me fairy tales? If I lie, I make more. If I don't lie, I make less. True or false? For the time being, it's true. All lies takes time to be revealed. So faimet litgalot, Chazal say. Not right away. So it can take a long time, 20 years sometimes. But the truth will come out. Must come out. This is the way Hashem decided. The truth will be buried for X amount of time. When Hashem will decide to reveal the truth to the world, the truth must come out. Emet me'eretz titzmach. The truth grow like a plant. It takes sometimes a year until it grows. I remember the story I told you about the orange tree in Israel. You heard it or no? Six years, now one orange was growing. The tree is huge already. No oranges. The lemon tree after three months was full of lemons. Six years, nothing. Nothing. My assistant told me, tell the tree if he doesn't grow fruits, you chop him off. Yeah, Eric, Saif. Sekila, Serefa, Eric, Vichemek. I say, you know what do I have to lose? He said, it's working. I started to tell the tree, listen, I'm very sorry. If you're not going to start growing oranges, I'm going to have to remove you. You take too much room here. You had sakar. You're not, you're not, uh, you know, six years now, one orange. You have three more months. Next time I come back to Israel, if I see there's no oranges, <laughs> I come after three months, I get the shock of my life from far. I see the tree has all purple flowers. You know, for the first time I understood what does it mean, orange blossom. I knew there's rose water. From roses they make this very good you know, liquid that the women put in their cake, rose water. The Persian, in, Par- in Farsi, it call it, they call it golab. Golab. And then there is, there is orange blossom, even better. Great smell. 
<laughs> it's all these flowers. The tree is full of green oranges. Full! Full! Cannot believe how many oranges. Now the oranges became orange and they were green. Now they became big and orange over in Israel. What do you see? You tell the tree, listen, you didn't learn the easy way, we're going to make you learn the hard way. Who said that threat and fear doesn't work? There's nothing that works better than fear in the Torah. That's why half of the Torah is warning and threats. Ah, it's not the way. It's not the way, Rabbi. That's the only way. How many times it's saying the Torah to love Hashem? How many times all together? Nine times. Very impressive. Nine times. How many times it say to fear God? Eighteen times. Double amount. Love without fear, fear without love, it's not good. If you only fear God and you never develop love to Him after a few months, you came to Yeshiva, you learned Torah, supposed to see the beauty of the Torah, once the love kicks in, there is not so much need for fear. Fear is a great motivational push in the beginning. But once the love kicks in, you don't need anymore to worry about the punishments and to lose your lamaba or anything like that. You don't need to. Benji, bring me please Rambam. The first one, Aleph. So, you don't need. Once the love kicks in, what is the point of having uh, fear? You don't need that much fear. So fear without love, only fear, it's not good. But it's worth something. Love without fear, it's nothing. It's an illusion. There's no such thing. It will never get you anywhere. I remember when I was in the army, they sent me to the Techni, the Air Force. First six months, you have to be in Haifa over there. Terrible smell from all the places there. Six months. I had a guy, Eli Dahan, was my first commander there. A nice Moroccan-Israeli guy. You know how sometimes in life it takes five minutes to have a click with someone? You go into, you walk into the room and it's a love story right away. Manyani, where are you from? Where are you from? What's this? That? Okay, well, he likes me. Now he's, he's going to decide if I go home for Shabbat or if I have to stay. If I don't do something right, he can send me to jail. So I'm in his hand and I became right away his friend. So what do we do? Everyone over there, he makes them run, walk, clean. And what do I do? I sit with him in a room and play Sheshbesh all day. Listening to music, he sent me home from Thursday, come back Sunday afternoon, don't worry. Now, as gratitude, when I come back from home, I bring him food, I bring him all kinds of things, my mother made cakes, mamash like a love story. But we became mamash like friends. That's it, it's friends for life. Forget about the army, with the army, without, mamash good friends. <laughs> but remember, he's my boss. One time he needed me to do something which I didn't really like to do. One order he gave me. That's it, one order. 
after weeks. And I did it terrible. And he said to me, Mizrahi, you let me down. You disappointed me. Why didn't I do it in the best, great possible way? I had a lot of love to him. I loved him like a brother. I also had a lot of respect for him. That he helps me so much, he gives me so many discounts, he sends me home every weekend. I had a huge admiration for him and a huge gratitude to him. Why I didn't care about his order? Because I had only love to him, no fear. If I had some fear from him, I would do it the best possible way. The fact that I didn't have any fear from him made me unable to accomplish my mission. And that's those Jews who live in illusion. I only follow Hashem out of love. Beloni. There's no such thing. Even Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev, even Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev writes that even the most righteous people must have fear from the punishments of Hashem. Without that, a person is incomplete. And the whole system of the world, Hashem made it in such a way that everything will be reward and punishment. What happened? No Rambamir? <laughs> so Rabotai, forget it, I'll find it here, no? I want to read to you, I read it once about a year ago, I don't, I don't know if you will remember. I'll read it to you and you tell me what you think. Rabotai, listen carefully. The Rambam, the Rambam talks about how to make people become religious. It's a lesson from Rambam, how to do Kiruv. And the Rambam talks about it in Ilchot Shuvah, Ilchot Shuvah, chapter 10, the Rambam speaks about I hope to find it here on, the, on that uh, Okay, here I want to read the door It's okay, no need I managed Alakha Aleph Rambam chapter 10 Alakha Aleph Listen, the first three Alakhot And we move on Al Yomar Adam Person should not say Areni Ose מצוות התורה ועוסק בחוכמתה כדי שאקבל כל הברכות הכתובות בה. A person should not say, I'm following the mitzvot of the Torah and deal with the wisdom of the Torah in order for me to receive all the blessings that are written in the Torah. Or, or כדי שאזכה לחיי העולם הבא, or that I should inherit my share to the world to come. I am not violating the restrictions of the Torah because I want to get saved 
from all the curses that are written in the Torah, for those who don't keep Torah, yeah? Or Kedei Shelo Ekaret Mechaya Olam Aba, that I should not be cut from the afterlife. En Raui Lavod Et Hashem Ala Derech That's not a, a, a superb way to service Hashem in such a way, because of personal interest only. Someone that followed this path has only fear in him. It's not the level of the prophets who are mentioned in the Tanakh. And it's not the level of the high scholar Talmide Chachamim. You don't follow and service Hashem in this way. Ela, who does? Ameharetz, ignorant people. Nashim, veaktanim, shemechanchim otam lavod mira, at shetirbe daatan veyavdu meahava. The last sentence is critical. Pay attention. Who? Follow Hashem out of fear. The fear has to be dominant, afraid of punishment, punishment, punishment. Be careful, be careful. Who? Women that don't learn Torah. They have no way to fall in love with Hashem because they don't learn the beauty of the Torah. They don't learn Gemara. Children, they still don't understand Gemara. And Amearetz. Adults that do not know Torah. They're not Talmidei Chachamim, Ameharetz. In case you didn't know, from every thousand men in a Jewish world, we have one Talmid Chacham. One. The Tosfot 900 years ago almost say. Thousand go to Beta Midrash, one become Talmid Chacham. I, I'm much more lenient than the Tosafot. I don't even talk about people who goes to Beta Midrash. Now, general men, religious men I'm talking. You have a thousand religious men. How many of them you can define him as a Talmid Chacham according to Judaism? One out of a thousand if we're lucky. One out of a thousand. You know what Talmid Chacham means? He knows every subject in the Torah. Everything you ask, Shulchan Aruch, Rambam, Gemara, Yerushalmi, Akol, Bavli, Akol he knows. Zohar, Kabbalah, all Sifrei HaMusar, everything. In every sugiah is Munach. You ask him about Hilchot Nida, boom, everything. Hilchot Ribit, everything, by the way. Hilchot Giyur, everything, Munach. Everything you ask, immediately he gives an answer. Mashiv Miyad. How many like this guy? Chaim Kanievsky, Avozner. I can count maybe a hundred. That's it. In our old Jewish world. Not everyone who learns to rise at Talmud Chacham. You have people five years in Yeshiva, they still don't know how to learn. They don't know. You ask them a few questions what's the Kushia, what's the Teruts, my Freya, La Makshan. They don't know exactly what's going on. They know roughly. Kacha on the surface. They don't really know. It's not, they don't have the real knowledge that you need to know when you learn Gemara. So how many are Talmidei Chachamim? Very, very few. Meaning, conclusion, every man today in the Jewish world, almost everyone is Amei Aratzot. 
And the Rambam just wrote that the only way to motivate an Amaharetz to become religious, to follow Torah and mitzvot, is out of fear. So I don't understand why people are challenging this and arguing today. What's the argument? The Rambam is The Rambam says women and children and Amaharetzot, that's what's productive for them. Once they become Chachamim, they won't need the fear. So what do we see? The smarter you are, the less fear you need. But it's very interesting. If you want to know if your, if your kid is a smart kid, you have kids, how do you know if your kid is smart or not? How would you know? It's three years old. How do you know if it's going to be a smart person or a dumb person? What's the two indications to prove to you that your child is smart? The answer, you need to have two key, two things to be smart, two things. One is shame, and the second one is fear. If he's embarrassed to do things in front of people, shy, thinking, he doesn't want to look stupid, that's a sign of wisdom. And if he's afraid to do things, because he doesn't want to deal with the consequences of that. That's a sign that he's foreseek the future. He understands what's coming for him, if he will do such and such things. Therefore, he always has fear not to risk himself, not to get anyone angry, not to upset his parents, he may lose his bike, he may not go on a trip, he may not get his ice cream. That's a smart kid. Later on, he will be afraid of much more important things than a bike or an ice cream. But that already shows that his brain functioned correctly. How do we see it? From Adam Arishon, Adam and Chava. Before they had from Etzadat, they were walking like animals, naked. Animals don't have knowledge and wisdom to think we are well, naked. The whole world sees us naked. An animal doesn't feel guilty of walking naked on a, in a in a safari. Animals don't have any doubt. They can have intimacy in front of a thousand fans. And they don't even have a second to think what are we doing is wrong. They are not programmed to understand decency. They are programmed to behave like animals. The Torah doesn't want people to be animals. That's the whole point. Naturally, we are animals. But because we have a divine soul... The soul has to take control over the body, not the other way around. The problem is that 99% of the people in the world are remaining animal to the last breath of their life. Even a minute before he dies, all he cares about is a cigarette. In a hospital, talk of the oxygen mask. No, anyone has cigarettes here? Habibi, the doctor say you have one day to live. You barely breathe. Ma'ach cigarette. The body control cannot overcome his desire. If somebody asks you what's the difference between people and animals, one difference, that's it. One difference between us and animals, who knows what's the difference? No, how is it helping me? It says in Chazal, 
מותר האדם מן הבהמה, meaning the person has no advantages on the animal besides the divine soul. מלבד הנשמה התורה, שהיא עתידה ליתן דין וחשבון. That that soul will be judged by Hashem when we die. <laughs> What kind of advantage is this? That's a punishment. Better to be a monkey without a judgment, without hell, without fear, than to be a person with all these uh, decrees. The man has the love of the fear and the... No. You make a choose to go against that nature. The behemoth doesn't have. So what? How has it helped me? If I was a monkey, I would have a wonderful life. Yeah, you, you don't have to worry about raising children. They automatically already come to the world ready. Two minutes later, they jump on their own trees. They find their own food. They swim. They have easy life. They don't have to spend millions of dollars to raise kids. They don't have to be two and a half hours going to work in traffic every day. What, is, what, what advantage we have? All the things you say it's correct, but how is it an advantage? You're not explaining to me. I have a divine soul. How does it help me? I'm going to be judged. Do I want to be judged? I would rather not to be judged. How does it help me? Give me one reason why it's better. You know, it reminds me when I was in Israel... In one of my trips, I spoke in a university in Kiryat Ono. The Merkaz Akademai Kiryat Ono. There was Motzei Shabbat. The lecture started around 10, 10.30. I had about five, six hundred people there. The, the auditorium is full. I sit on a stage, and they sit lower. It's full. It looks like a half a moon. The, the, the place. Now, when you walk from the street to go into the auditorium, it's very far. You're far from the street. You have to walk through the path until you enter the auditorium. I ask the audience, who can tell me why it's better to be a human being and not a cat? For 10 minutes, 15 minutes, everyone is arguing. We have a soul, so what? Cat doesn't have a soul. It has a wonderful life. Look how fat they are. They eat Chinese, Bukharian, Persian, gefilte fish. They have great kitchen. They're not suffering eating from the garbage. So the cat in the neighborhood, mashallah, they have already the size of a watermelon on their stomach. What, what, what? They have wonderful life. They live anywhere they want. They have plenty of food. They have nobody hunt them. They have wonderful life they have. Or the squirrels, you see the squirrels? How they enjoy on the trees of Monsi. Nobody knows. Everybody make up an idea. Eh, maybe this, maybe that. Guess what happened, Rabotai, around 11, 11.10 at night. After 15 minutes we argue about the subject. A big, fat, gray cat walked into the auditorium. Now, I didn't see it yet because I sit on the stage and everyone got up. Everybody scream, Ma! Everybody stood in the middle of a lecture. Kulam they all looked down. What happened? The cat came, walk, 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 climb on the stage, three, four steps, came, sat right next to me. And you have it on video. You see it on video. I'm not telling you stories. After speaking for about 15 minutes about why it's better to be a person than a cat, 
And I said, the cats are eating, they're fat, they have wonderful life. Hashem said, a real fat cat, right to the stage. Everybody was laughing, clapping. Why? It was et ratzon. Sometimes Hashem throw us a candy. So, conclusion, Rabotai, the difference between people to animals is only one difference. The fact that we are being judged, why is it an advantage? Mutar means itaron. It's an advantage. Because who told you to be wicked? Be righteous, and in your judgment you're going to get a huge payment. The judgment in a court here in, in America or in Israel, you can only lose if someone sue you to a trial. You can only lose or stay the same. You cannot benefit. If you're lucky, they find you not guilty. Go back home. Or you stay in the same situation like you came into the courtroom. You go back home and nothing happened. Or they send you to 20 years in prison or death penalty. But to pay you in a trial after you've been sued, it's not going to happen. You're lucky we're sending you home. By the trial of Hashem, who told you to be wicked? Be righteous that in the trial I will write for you the highest level in heaven for eternity. I told you to be wicked? No, I told you to be righteous. You listen to me, follow the Torah, you be righteous. You're going to get a huge reward in your trial. So the trial is not a negative thing. Your actions are negative. That's why it's not a disadvantage to be judged. Judgment is not a negative word. It's negative if you're wicked. But if you're righteous, it's a wonderful thing. I want to be judged. <laughs> if I know I'm 100%, I'm waiting for that day. That Hashem will tell me here, now, I have, now it's time to pay you for what you've done good. Especially if you do tshuva, because everyone commits some sins. No one is perfect. If you constantly do tshuva, daily, weekly, Yom Kippur, Aseret Yom Tshuva, Elul, you know. So, oh, very good. And plus we get a lot of suffering, which helps to clean all the Averot. So the main difference between people and animals, that animals also choose. Not just people choose. You can take a cat, give him a yellow, yellow cheese, and white cheese. Today is in the mood for this one. Tomorrow you will eat from this one. You give him to female, black and brown, or white. He looks at them, he likes this one. He's fine, like the other one. They have taste. They have different attraction to different things, food, females. Yeah, just like people. So what is the difference after all? The difference is that the people are the only species in nature that can do what they prefer to do the opposite. They can choose to do the opposite of what they're interested to do. You want to go and eat now, but it's not, you know, you're not sure if the meat is kosher. You didn't eat for all day. It's already 8 p.m. From morning you didn't eat french fries, salad, and a great steak. Someone say, I don't know about this shrita, this kashrut. It's very questionable. Yeah, you're about to attack it already. You can choose to walk up, to get up and leave. And an animal can never wake up and leave. Get up and leave. Once an animal sees the desire is on the table, boom! There's no way to convince him to choose 
to do against his will. We are the only people that can overcome our desire. Animals cannot do it. Dog also cannot do it. No, dog, you show a dog food, make him starve for the whole day, put the food in and try to block him from eating. Good luck with that. He may eat your hands. Bottom line, Rabotai, conclusion. If, if somebody ever asks you what's the different people to animal, is that animals must choose what they want to choose. And people can choose to do what God wants, not what I want. He told me it's not allowed for you. Sorry, I have to force myself not to touch it. This one, very easy to take it. No one will know, but Hashem knows. I have to choose against my personal natural will. That's why Chazal say, don't judge a person until you be in his own shoes, in his own place. Why? I see in front of my eyes that he's a thief. Why can't I judge him? Of course you judge him. Next time when you need to bring him to your house, make sure the cameras are on. And you don't lend him access to where the safe is. You must be judgmental. The Torah didn't say to be stupid. When you know someone is a thief and he just came to your house, a family member, or is a drug addict, you have to watch him, seven different people watch him all the time. Where he goes, where, what room he wants to enter, why, it's not fair, why he's so judgmental. The Torah didn't say to be stupid, he already has a record. So what does it mean, don't judge, don't judge him until you be in his place? Meaning, what he does look ridiculous in your eyes. Look at him. Goes to the room and steal money from the pants. Cannot. What a low life. I will die and not do such thing. Yeah, you. You don't have desire to steal. But you have other desire. What about your desires? If you ask the thief to do what you do, he will also laugh. Who would do such thing? So he's weak with stealing, you are weak with women. You are weak with women, he's weak with sleeping all day. Lazy bum, doesn't want to wake up. 11 o'clock, Moshe, get up. Sovzman Kriyachma of tomorrow already came. <laughs> There's nobody to talk to. Try to get him out of bed. Spill water in his face, a bucket with water. Ah, it's raining. <laughs> Raining. Why? Everyone has different difficulties. You get it or no? What's the difficulty of Ishmael? Very hard for them not to murder or support murder. What's the difficulty of Esav? Same thing. Al Kharbechat Ichye. Al Kharbechat Ichye. Let's read some of the things we saw on Shabbat and we maybe didn't pay attention. In the last parasha, a week ago, parashat Chaye Sarah, the parasha finished with a verse, Vaishkenu Mechavila Adshur. Who are we talking about? The Arabs, the children of Ishmael. Why we call the children of Ishmael Arabs? I want to ask you a question. You know, when Ishmael 
was 13, Avram circumcised him. When the three guests came to Avram Avinu, Kichom Ayom, it was on the third day, Avram was a hundred years old. The third day after he was circumcised, how old was Ishmael? Thirteen. Thirteen. Avram just circumcised him also three days ago. So Avram had three Arabs. Three Arabs came to his house, looked like Arabs. And Avram ran to slaughter three cows for them. Make them tongue with mustard. Delicious food. Give them butter first. Make matzot for them. It was Pesach. Didn't it occur to you that how can it be something in a story is off? How Avram and three Arabs came to visit him when the first Arabs came out of Ishmael and Ishmael was a child. Wasn't married yet. Ishmael was 13. The Arabs will come to the world from Ismail. Not Ismail Ania. His name after his grandfather. Maze Ishmael. God will hear the screams of the Jews from the torture that the Ishmael will do to them. So how Abraham had three Arabs if the first Arab came out of Ishmael and it's going to take years until it will happen? There were already three adults that are older than Ishmael. And they are called Arabs in the Talmud. The answer, the word Arabs and the word Ishmaelim, it's two different things. Ishmaelim are the children of Ishmaelim. Today we call the Arabs Aravim, Arabs. But what does it mean, Aravi? Arav. It comes from the word Arava. Desert. People that live in a desert. Whether they are children of Ishmael, whether they are children of someone else. All the people that lived in deserts in tents are called Aravim because they live in Arava. But today, only Arabs live in a desert, meaning children of Ishmael. No civilized people live in desert, besides the Bedouin and some Arabs in the desert. Who wants to live in a desert, in a tent? So today when we say Aravim, meaning children of Ishmael. But before Ishmael, Aravim means people that lives in a desert. So the end of Parashat Chayesara finished, Rabotai, with the children of Ishmael where their territory is, from the place of Havila until Shur. Al penei kol echav nafal, he fell in front of all his brothers. Tov, very strange. The next parasha that we read on Shabbat, parashat Toldot, starts with, ve'ele Toldot Yitzchak ben Avraham. These are the genealogy of Yitzchak, son of Abraham. Chazal, our sages, they're teaching us that there is a connection between the end of Parashat Chayesara to the beginning of Parashat Toldot. It's close to each other in the Torah, but there is a connection. What's the connection, Chazal say? ha beha talia One is depending on the other. They are connected, like a seesaw. When one side is up, the, the other side must be down. 
then the other side goes up, the other side must go down. It cannot be both sides goes up or both sides goes up. Meaning, one person is sitting on one side and is pushing with his legs, the seesaw goes up, the other side must go down. Then the person put his weight on it and he falls down, the other side goes up. The movement of the seesaw is depending on only one, who? The person. If he wants to push himself up, the other side will go down. If he wants to make himself fall down, the other side goes up. That's the relationship between the children of Ishmael to the children of Israel. If the Jews push themselves up, Shabbat, Torah, modesty, loving of God, charity, lots of good midot, wonderful things, automatically they go up and automatically Ishmael goes down. He loses all his power. One is built with the destruction of the other. When the Jews are great, the Arabs are collapsing, they have no effect. When the Jews fail, the Arabs automatically get strong power to hurt them. So whenever you see massive attacks like that, instead of hoping the Israeli army will save us, and Biden will save us, and the United Nations, and the Mossad, and the police, and you know, the rest of the nonsense, you have to think, how do we go back up? The Arabs are not a factor here. It's all about us. If we go up, they automatically lose all their strength. If we fall down, automatically they arrive. And how Hashem made them always move to where Jews are? If we move now to the end of the world, they show up after a month. Up, a Muslim community is starting. You build a shul, few moving Jewish family moves, few months later, Muslims arrive. What's going on? Don't you see? It cannot be coincidence. Every place on the planet, when Jews went and established a Jewish community, shortly after the Arabs arrive. Why? Halal meat. They want to eat meat. The Arabs love meat. The Arab kitchen, almost all food is with meat. So therefore, they have to eat halal. Halal means that the animal was slaughtered, but they don't have the oral laws. They don't know how to check the knife, where to slaughter, to check the inside bones, to put salt to get rid of the blood. They don't have all the rules. They only saw the Jews are slaughtering. Because they saw God told the Jews to slaughter the animal, not to kill the animal, to stab the animal, or to electrocute the animal, or to hit the animal on the head, kill the animal, and then eat the meat. That's called nevelah. It's forbidden. So they learn from the Jews also to slaughter. Now I want to ask you a question. Did you ask yourself, why when they come to kill people, Jews and Arab infidels, those who they call kufars, you know what kufar means? Kofer. Kofer means heretic. Don't believe in Muhammad, don't believe in the Quran. So when they come to kill people that they hate, they love to slaughter them with a knife, just like they slaughter the goat. 
Why they love to kill people by slaughtering them? Charbechai can stab him. Why they love to slaughter the neck? Because the head is here. The opinion is here. Listen carefully, Rabotai. By Jews, when a Jewish shochet slaughtered the, the goat or the sheep or the cow, he doesn't bring little children to see how he slaughtered the animal. It's not good. Don't bring kids to see how all the blood comes out of the neck. We hide it from our children. That's why almost every Jew that you come and say to him, slaughter, we hold the, the neck of the animal. 99.9% of the Jews cannot ever do it, even for money. I cannot do it, I'm sorry. Very few can do it. Jews cannot slaughter, needless to say, a person. Even a goat, they can do it. One out of a thousand can be shochet. Most people don't want it. Come, let's learn in Chot Shechita. I don't want it. It makes me faint. Can look at it. You know, when the Bukharian brings a keves, they, they move to their new mansion in Beverly Hills here. I mean, Forest Hills. So now... The, the rabbi comes with a big knife. They don't bring all the little kids. Yalla bo Moshe Kadima Yitzchak Yaakov, come, come see how we chop the head of the of the goat. No, put the kids away. Why? You don't want the kids to see it. By them it's the opposite. They bring the kids to hold the legs. From a very young age, they see how the father and the uncle and everyone slaughtered, and they have desire for murder. That's what they do. That's why they love to murder so much. You have to see the recording that one of them called his father. It's on the WhatsApp. Papa, Papa! Like you won the lottery. Believe me, if a person win the lottery, he wouldn't be so happy. Hundred million dollar cash. He wouldn't scream like this from excitement. I kill with my own hands ten Jews. Wow! Allah Akbar, thank God. You don't know how lucky I am. I kill, I kill, trust me, I killed it. He couldn't stop screaming from happiness. You see, Per Adam, wild beast. And if you think there are innocent civilians there, stop being naive. Enough of the Shtuyot. They all clap, they give candy, they dance after the massacre. They're all happy. <laughs> you found one of them is crying for the Jews. Come on. They're happy because this is the way they raised them. That's the way they raised them from a very young age. They don't know any other. You know, if you take now 1,000 Jews and tell them to take one Arab kid and put them in the oven and turn it on 500 degrees, do you know, do you believe that one of the 1,000 Jews will be able to do such thing? I will give you any amount of money if you find one that agreed to do such thing. An Arab kid from Gaza. Take him, he's one year old, put him in the oven and turn the oven on. You won't find one Jew that is able to do such thing. Do you know what they did to the Jewish kids when they came? They took them and put them in the oven in front of their parents while they were burning inside. They were doing what they did to the mother and then shot them in the head. And not once or twice, in every house like this. In one house, they skipped. They came, skipped. Another gang came, skipped. 
while the family was hiding in a mamad. Why they skipped that house? The father of the house was smart. He heard the gunshots all around, pa, 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 non-stop. He messed up the living room, turned the couch, moved it, moved, made the table fall down, the lamp fell down. It looks like a big mess. Dirt spilled the, the sand from the, from, the, from the plant on the rug, big pile of sand. So that looks like this house was already vandalized. So when they came in with the guns to look for Jews to kill, they saw the place is such a mess and sand and everything, they already figured that other people came and killed everyone here. That saved them a few times. A few times there are people coming into the house, speaking in Arabic, looking around. No, no, someone was already here. Let's move on to the next house. That's how they got saved. Even that, Hashem gives a person idea. It saves his entire family from slaughtering and rape. So, Rabotai, that's what Chazal telling us. This was written 2,000 years ago. I want to remind you when it was written in the Gemara, the Arabs had zero power. There was no Kuwait, no Abu Dhabi, no Saudi Arabia of today, trillions of dollars from oil barrels. All the power of the Arabs in the world came thanks to the European and the Americans and the Russians. Without civilized society, they, they wouldn't even know how to take the oil out of their land. The Americans from Texas, from all these big companies, you know, all these big gas station companies that you see, Exxon, and all these big companies worth billions of dollars, they have people in the Arab countries who take the oil out of the ground. The Arabs cannot do it on their own. They don't know how to take it. The Americans, Europeans, and other countries made refineries over there. They get the oil out, they clean it, they turn it into gasoline, all these things. They wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> Without the help of the, of the children of Esav, the Ishmael would not be able to get so much wealth. And because of all the oil that they got, which they got the blessing, they got the blessing because of this oil, the whole world is anti-Semite. What's the connection? Everyone is afraid of them. Nobody wants to ruin their relationship with them because they need their oil. They don't want a barrel of oil to cost $500. You're going to drive from here to Main Street, you're going to have to pay 50 bucks. People are afraid. The whole world is afraid. It will affect the economy, textile, everything you make today, you need oil. All the machines, you need oil. Cars need oil. Airplanes, air, airlines. Everything you need oil. Hashem made that the oil will be their power for them to be able to torture everyone in the world, not just Jews. It's the curse of the world. All the suffering comes from that. If the oil would end and they invent some bucks you put in your car, it drives a year. That's it. One person made cars that drives with water. Where, what happened to him? They killed him. <laughs> we'll put them out of business. Do you understand what it means, cars that drive on water? Water is free. That's it. They sell now a barrel of oil, 80 bucks. It used to be 120. It would be a penny. Do you remember in Corona that the barrel of oil went to minus $30? <laughs> 
minus 30 dollars. Do you know what it means? You have a barrel of oil, standing, millions of them standing in storages or in boats in the middle of the ocean. They ask you, please come take it. For every barrel you will clear from the storage, we will pay you 30 dollars. Do you understand? Now you pay 80 for that. 110 dollars difference. Why is it? Because Hashem wanted them to be powerful. All the money to terrorism come from where? From the oil. From Iran, from Qatar, from all this, uh, Saudi Arabia, all the oil. Take away the oil from Iran. Take away the oil from Qatar and from Abu Dhabi and from all these places. They're, they are worthless. Nobody would ever look at them. No one will care about one Arab in the world. Bichlal. Hashem did such a trick that Yadoba Kol Vyat Kolbo, every item in the world, they have a piece in it. You see this table? Without the Arabs, you wouldn't have it. You see this rug? Without them, you wouldn't have it. You see this microphone? Without them, you wouldn't have it. See these books? Without them, you wouldn't have books. You wouldn't have gmarot. You would not have printing homes. How do you get electric? You need oil. It creates electric. Every item in the world, even a plastic cup, without the oil, you wouldn't have. How did Hashem design the world? That you cannot live with them, and you cannot live without them. Without them, you wouldn't have one building in Israel. All the buildings in Israel they built. There's not one building in Israel, one house they didn't build. Now I hope the Israeli government will be smart enough to say enough is enough. They bring Thailandi and Chinese. Why do you think they kill the Thailandis and they kidnap them? What, what, what do you have to do? You see, he looks Chinese, he's Oriental. You know, you know he's not a Jew. He's a worker in a farm. Why they kidnap 30 Thailandis? and few Chinese. What's the point? To make sure no Thailandi will ever dare to come work in Israel and steal their parnasa. That's why they're not even releasing them. They don't have a fight with the Thailand. <laughs> Gaza. Thailand is voting for them all the time. But they keep the prisoners. Why? That no one from Thailand would agree to come to work in Israel. I could bring them Hundreds of thousands of workers from India for 1,000 shekel a month. Do you know what the 1,000 shekel a month is? 300 bucks. I spoke to a minister in the government. I told him, I spoke to him on WhatsApp. I told him, speak to Sarapnim, your friend. Tell him I will hook him up with a guy that brings workers from India to Dubai for 1,000. They have a contract, they make flat fee. Thousand shekel a month. And they work ten times better than them. And you don't have to worry, they won't murder us. They refuse. The Israeli government refused. Leave it for now. <laughs> it's not a priority. All the construction sites are all vacant now. They can build. Do you know how much a house in Israel would be if you're not going to have workers? Do you know what's going to happen now? People who already bought a house in Israel, if the situation will continue like this five, six more months, every house that right now is $2 million will jump to four. 
jump to four million. Won't be able to get a house. And he won't even be able to rent a house. Everything will be taken. That's why those who already bought a house in Israel, they are very, very lucky. Very lucky. As dangerous as it is, it may be much more dangerous here with the anti-Semitism here. You know, I heard that they put a, a grenade in Lakewood, in a place of a yeshiva. They attach a grenade, also in Montreal. Montreal is full of Arabs. Full. I mean, you feel like you're in an Arab country. You have Hasidim, you have Moroccan Jews, but tons of Muslims. Algerian, Moroccans, why they go to Montreal? Look at this, Rabotai. Everything in the, in the world is a, is a circle. What, like they say, what goes around comes around. The reason that France is destroyed and Canada is destroyed is because the French colonial went to African countries, occupied them, force them to accept France as a, as, a, as a controller of the place, taught them French in schools, and now all these Muslims of Africa and Algeria and Morocco are all speaking French. Because they speak French, all of them move from Algeria, from Tunisia, from Morocco, from African countries, they all move to France filled it up with millions of immigrants that speak French. They couldn't come to America. They don't speak a word in English. They couldn't go to Germany. They don't speak German. Where did they go? To France, to Belgium, to Canada, places that they speak French. You go and occupy them. You force them to learn French. Next generation, they come, they slaughter you, to take over the country and destroy it. You walk in the street fearing any second someone will shoot my head. Same thing with us. We taught them Hebrew, we brought them in, we give them jobs, they learn. Even in Israeli jails, they give them access to computer, they get a doctorate. As soon as they come out of the jail, they use what we teach them to destroy us. Yechir Sanwari Machshimot, the one who is behind all this attack, was already dead man. The Israeli took a growth out of his brain. He had cancer in his brain. Israeli doctors for eight hours work on his filthy monster head to save his life. Why? Because there is no Torah in the head of these stupid Israeli leaders. A Bachur Yeshiva would send Israeli doctor to save a Nazi Hitler? What normal guy would have Adolf Hitler on the table that have cancer in his head and fight to save his life? And then he comes and, and you know what? It's even worse than that. He was in prison and the Israeli released him for Gilad Shalit. The Israeli stupid government released 1,027 mass murderers for one Israeli lefty soldier. One soldier, the lefty that support them. It's not uh, pro-Israel so much. For him, they released 1,027 murderers. One of them is Ichye Sanwar in Machshimo. So now, 1,400 people are dead, 250 are kidnapped, rapes, broken, burned babies. All of them for that stupid idiot who runs the government right now that wanted some publicity on the newspaper. Why? 
Because the people in Israel follow the heart, they don't follow the head. When you don't have Torah, you always follow your feelings. Because the head is empty, it's full of straw. Someone who doesn't learn Torah, his head is full of straw. When your head is full of straw and garbage, the only decisions are made by the heart. So when you see people are crying, release him already. I'm dying to release him, every Jew. But why would I release him and kill 2,000 Jews for the one? What is the deal here? To save one and kill 2,000? For now it's 2,000. It could be a lot worse. This could have, this could have been finished with 50,000 dead. Do you know what it means, 3,000 terrorists with machine guns and grenades and RPG walking free in Israel in the streets? Try to imagine them walking in Manhattan, Queens, and Brooklyn. And they have a party of 3,000 people. I don't understand how some people came out of there alive. 3,000 terrorists shooting automatic. How, how anyone got survived? It's a huge miracle what happened here. In the end, 1,200 died. There could have been 50,000 dead. Every terrorist with machine guns and grenades and RPG could have killed alone 100 people. Every one of them, what would it be? 30,000 people. It could have been a lot worse. We look at the horrible news, I mean, of course, it breaks the heart. But what would we do if we'd be 30,000 dead? Now we're going to clean the area of Gaza. What are we going to do? When you have root canal in your pain, you have to go to the dentist. The dentist has to take care of your tooth. Either he will fix it or he will remove it, one of the two. If you leave it, it creates infection, problems, bacteria, lots of problems. Why do you have a root canal? Because Hashem gave you a punishment for something. Maybe you eat too much candy because you cannot control your desire. So it made you problems with your teeth. Maybe you eat non-kosher food, so your mouth gets hurt. Everything is mida keneged mida. You have stomach issues, check what you eat. You have eyes issues, check what you're looking at. You have all kinds of problems with your head, check what nonsense you learn and listen to. You have problems with your ears, you listen too much to Lashon Hara or to heresy. Your legs hurt, you go to places you're not supposed to go. Technically, everything is mida keneged mida. You're born blind, there's no defect in Hashem's machine. No, 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 don't make that mistake. There's no such thing, defect, that from every million people, one or two comes, you know, like in a machine. Few cups come crooked. It's a machine. Machine have defects. By Hashem, there's no defects. Everything is a planned defect. If Hashem decided this baby will be born blind or deaf, it has to be something from his past life. The Gemara says, There's no suffering unless there was a prior sin. And all the Yisurim are midah keneged midah, measure for measure, for good and for bad. A miracle happened to you, it's because you did something like this to someone ten years ago. Now Hashem paid you with the same token. Or you hurt someone ten years ago, now it's the time for you to get hurt in the same exact way. Same exact way. 
You got somebody fired, five years later someone gets you fired in the same way. You made a business go down because you spread Lashonara about them. Ten years later, when you have your business, someone does the same thing to you. Someone, you ruin a shiduch to somebody. When you're supposed to get married, someone came and ruined your shiduch. You murder innocent Jews and you don't regret, a Jew will murder you and won't regret. Like Yitzhak Rabin, shot Altalena, killed 16 Jews. They ask him, you don't regret? You killed your own brothers and sisters on a boat? He said, no. The old man, meaning Ben-Gurion, gave an order, and I shot the boat. I was the general. Many years later, Hashem sends a guy, shoot him, kill him, and they ask him, do you regret? No, not only I don't regret, I regret I didn't kill Paris also. So they told them, the murderer, we will give you benefits. Apologize, say that you regret, we will give you some vacation, you'll see the sky, you'll be able to come out of your room, you will have access to other prisoners, you will have a TV, radio, like other prisoners. I said, no, I will not regret 30 years until now. They ask him, you willing to apologize? No. I call midah keneged midah. Who makes his heart stiff neck like this? What kind of a fool? Regret. You have computer, you have things to do. Right now you're locked in a cage. I don't regret. They locked him. He doesn't have access to anyone. He doesn't speak to people, no one. Alone, 30 years in a cage. But Hashem decided he should get married. So one woman from Belarus, religious woman, all of a sudden decided she needs to marry Igal Amir. They tell her, you crazy? He's the most hated person in Israel. They constantly spill poison on his name, non-stop. They educate the kids to hate him. He's the monster who killed the prime minister. Why do you need a headache for? No, I must marry Igal Amir. <laughs> she goes to jail, she marries him. A year later, they have a boy. Guys from my yeshiva, they sometimes come to me broken. I don't think I'm going to get married. I'm here five years. Ah. Nobody offered me shiduchim. Barely here, barely there. So I say to them, tell me, who has a higher chance to get married? You? Or someone who locked in a cage and the media constantly make him a monster. Even if you like him or admire what he did, you're afraid to say it. Why? Because right away they look at you like another monster. You, you burn your name. You're afraid. It's like people in college, they're afraid to say that they are Trump supporters. Their career will be over. No professor will pass them any test. All the lefty liberals will constantly hate them. There's no way. By the way, I want to tell you, if I was a Jewish student, now in a college, all Jewish student has to file a lawsuit against their universities. There's one good thing about this country, the court is very strict with racism. There's one good thing about lefties, that they make the rules against racism very strict. They are all racist, don't get me wrong. All the lefty judges in Tel Aviv, if they see a guy from Sudan comes to their pool, they won't go into the water. 
But if you're going to say something against that Sudani, they're going to put you in jail or make you pay a fine. This is the hypocrisy of the left. But at least there are rules here in America that if someone attacked you because you're black or a Jew or Chinese or whatever the case may be, you have a huge lawsuit. And there are hundreds of thousands of Jewish students. You know, Jews, they invest very much in education. I'm sure that almost every Jew in every university was attacked in a racist attack, anti-Semitism, guarantee. Either by the professor, or by Arab Muslims there, or by Nazis, or by who knows what, or blacks. There are people who don't like Jews. Do you know what the lawsuit it is? They have to start suing the university, non-stop. This university has tens of billions of dollars in storages. You know how rich is Harvard? I once saw a list that Harvard is number 26 in the world in wealth, meaning they are wealthier than countries. And you still have naive, foolish Jews who donate millions of dollars to them. For what? They don't know what to do with the money. And plus the government gives them tons of aid every year. What for? They don't know what to do with them. They have so much money. They still charge $100,000 a student tuition, dorm, these, all kinds of... And they don't know what to do with the money. They can come and buy countries in cash. Write a check and buy the whole country. And Jews continue to give them money. Sure, they don't want to give to the yeshiva, so they give it to them. So the money goes to the devil and be used against Jews. The grandfather gave them $100 million, and now they use it to discriminate the grandson. That's the story of the universities. In Israel, even worse. All universities full of Arabs. The Israelis, all these lefties, they did everything they can to give Arabs much more rights than Jews. To show the world we are a democracy. But the Arabs stand in university with Hamas flags and kill and and scream dead to the Jews. The Arabs were making parties when they slaughtered 1,200 people. Making parties in in a university. Drinking, eating, dancing, putting music. If it was up to me, I would pass a law that every citizen that is not loyal to the country immediately loses citizenship and all rights. Cannot open a bank account in Israel, cannot get medical help, cannot give birth in Israel, and cannot stay in Israel. I will make his life hell. He wouldn't be able to survive a week. Come to the bank, I'm sorry, you're on the blacklist. Get out of here. What happened? You're a traitor. That's the language they have to understand. Don't get me wrong. It's in the end, it's all from Hashem. Hashem is doing this to us. Our enemies are rising and we are sinking. It's written in Parashat Bechukotai. Just because it happens to us, the first reaction should do tshuva. Fix our hashkafa, our horrible ideology. But that's not enough. We also have to do shtadlut. If every one of us was Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, in a very high level of confidence, we would, ha- we would not have to do anything. Just sit and learn and ignore what happens. Hashem, we are in your hand. We're not worried. Unfortunately, we're not in this level. 
So we need an army, and we need training, and we need money. Why? What does not come through the head, come through the legs. That's, an, that's a sentence in Israeli army. When I came to the army first day, the guy said to me, Mizrahi, you see the tree there on the hill? You have 60 seconds to run and get me a leaf from the tree. Ready? Go! That was the first day. I didn't know that much about the army. So Mizrahi is taking his time. A wise guy. Like jogging. Sam Mizrahi, you're playing with fire. You have 20 seconds left. Who is he to tell me to run? I arrive after 80 seconds. Mizrahi, first day on the job, already messing up like this. Tov. You don't want to learn the easy way. We will teach you the hard way. Take this pakal, put it on your back. It's one ton. You know how heavy it is? The walkie-talkie, the big one for the whole thing. Put it on your head with the big antenna. You're going to run from now until 2 a.m. Around the base. 2 a.m. Ah, it's only evening. Six hours of running. 60 seconds if you do it, you would be able to sleep well tonight. You don't want to learn the easy way from the head? We will teach you through your legs. That's what you have to do to your enemies. They have to feel that it doesn't pay for them to kill Jews. They see the weakness of the Jewish lefty government, these fools, all the judges in Tel Aviv. They laugh. <laughs> we never had such a stupid enemy. We kill them and they fight for our rights. I want to tell you something. Arabs are not afraid from death penalty. They brainwash them that they're going to heaven if they kill Jews. So why not to go heaven faster? Why should they wait until 80 years old? You send them to heaven, age 20. They wait for that. But there's one thing they cannot stand. That's a killer for them. A killer! The biggest punishment you can give them. What is it? Who knows? Big skin, there's no Israeli politician will agree to this. I, I told one of them, and he spoke about it on the news. I told Smotrich, told him, pass a law that every one of them will be buried in a pig skin, in an unknown place in the desert. He spoke about it the next day on the news. And actually got a good comments about it from a lot of Israelis. But of course, you're going to find an Israeli lefty judge will approve such thing. Come on, don't be, don't be too optimistic. I want to ask you a question. What is their number one killer? If you do it to them, they go crazy. What is it? You take away their land. For land, they're willing to do anything not to lose the land. Not only that, even if they occupy a city for one day in Spain. One day! And the Spanish kick them out. They already have a belief in the religion. Since we were in charge of this place for even one day or a week, it belongs to us forever. We must get it back. Until now, they say that Spain belongs to them. 
the Muslims, they, they occupied places of Spain hundreds of years ago. The Spanish kicked them out. Spain belongs to us. So every place they live, it's ours. If it was up to me, I would go make a new border around Gaza. You will never get it back. That's it. It's a part of Israel from now. Find yourself a place to live. Make sure there's not one building left there. Knock down all the buildings. It's a vacant place. That's it. No one lives there. Empty. Make a new border. Put soldiers everywhere. Well, we want to come back. You can come back. Where are we going to go? Go to Jordan, to your brothers. Go to Egypt. Go to where you came from, to Iraq, to Saudi Arabia. Go to Iran. They're so nice to you. They give you money. Let them make you a place to live. Ah, but the whole world will come against you. It, that's when you need emunah in Hashem. We're not going to surrender. We do not give back to people who shoot missiles at us. We don't give them the land back. That's it. We don't want to die. Why should we die? You want to die? Give them a place by you. They'll shoot rockets at you. Good news is that today they use the laser gun for the first time, officially. You know what the laser gun is? It's a miracle. There are missiles that if they fall in Tel Aviv, you can knock down 10 buildings in one shot, one missile. Size all the way from here to the door. SCAD missiles. Full of 1,500 kilo of explosive. Do you know what, about, what an explosion it's going to be? It can kill a thousand people in one shot easy, without a doubt, Bechlal. And the damage could be over a billion dollars right there. Hezbollah has thousands of missiles like this. They shoot at us missiles right now, but they shoot the little ones that they have. They don't want Lebanon to be destroyed again. Remember, we already destroyed Lebanon once. The Lebanese are putting pressure. Do not get us into this mess again. Lebanon is already complete, is finished. You want to bring us another 10,000 buildings to, not to be destroyed now? So because of that, they shoot small missiles. But today they shot one big missile. They knocked down a whole building, a whole military building. One missile, boom. It wasn't one of the big ones. It's the mediocre one. Every street in Israel has a missile aimed to that street. Every street can go all the way from Hezbollah to Elat, almost to Egypt. For 20 years, the Iranians send them every day missiles, 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 nonstop. For who these missiles are? For whom? They're not going to shoot it at Syria. It's all for us. Same thing Hamas. They make rockets, homemade. But they're going to have a very big surprise soon. All of these missiles will go down the drain. Why? You have the laser gun. Do you know what a laser gun means? You have a missile comes, any kind of missile. Even missile will fly faster than one mach. You know what mach means? The speed of voice. Meaning the missile is faster than the speed of voice. If I speak now and you hear me over there, the missile is faster. From my mouth to your ear, over there by the end of this shul, the missile is faster than my voice. It will get to you faster than, my, than your ear will hear my voice. Do you know how fast it is? 
It's probably 10 times faster than an airplane. 10 times faster. It's very hard to shoot a missile to hit it. So the solution is this laser. You, sh you send lasers in the air. The laser heated up, exploded in the air. It's very good because even if they shoot a nuclear bomb, I mean nuclear missile from Iran to Israel, if you blow it up in the air, it will fall on Jordan. <laughs> or on Gaza. So we don't know what Hashem is planning. Okay, we don't know how Hashem is going to turn everything around. If Iran will have a nuclear bomb, maybe it's the best thing that can happen to us. Maybe that's what will explode in their face and finish them up. Because we will never dare to throw a nuclear bomb on Iran. Especially in Iran, you have 20,000 Jews and almost all of them are religious. We have a big problem. They don't want them to leave Iran. They are the collateral. If all Jews would leave Iran, you can do whatever you want. But if the Jews are there, you have to always worry, what are you going to do? The Iranians know. They keep the Jews as hostages there. Today they can't even leave because their money is so worthless. The price of a house in Iran, you buy the tissues here in the toilet. A box of tissue. The currency has zero value. Nothing. I mean, they can't buy any real estate here in America. Anywhere in America. Even in places that are very cheap here in America, they can't buy it because the money has no value. It only has value in Iran. You come out of Iran, there's nothing you can buy. You cannot buy anything in Israel, not in Europe, not in Canada, not here. So they are forced to stay forever in Iran. Look how Hashem did it. Hashem did it in such a way that no matter what we do, there's nothing we can do. There's no solution besides one. To do tshuva, that's it. If we do tshuva, things will start turning around. Lots of miracles. We azimale the Pasuk say there will be time that we will be laughing, you know, like crazy. Schok, running in the street, laughing, screaming from happiness. You know what Rina means? Not just happiness. You're so happy, you sing. You sing. You're happy and you sing. That's what happened. Sometimes you're happy internally. Sometimes you're happy from the outside. Sometimes you're so happy, you run. You dance. Gila. It's dancing. Rina means singing. There are many ways of happiness. will be laughing like crazy. You know, someone begins to laugh. What happened? <laughs> what happened? Begin to sing. You know, something good happened. He just got engaged. I want to finish, Rabotai. Saying, you know, he's just got engaged. It's a good joke. There was a rabbi in Italy. His name, Rabbi Yehuda Arye Modina. He was such a good speaker in Venice, in Italy, that even the Goim would come to listen to his speeches. Great speaker. The Goim would love it. Speak perfect Italian. 
was a high class person. And he was very big in Torah. On well, one of his speeches, he said, according to the Tanakh, the entire 24 books of Judaism, the word Bekachto, Bekachto means as he took. Yitzchak was 40, Rivka was 12. When Yitzchak took Rivka to be his wife, he was 40 years old. Rav Yuda Arye Modina says, how many times you have the word Bekachto in a whole Tanakh? 24 books of Judaism. This word appeared only two times. One here, and another place, it's written, in another place, it's written in a book of Jeremiah, chapter 40, verse 1. Bekachto oto, vehu asur ba'azikim. As he took him, when his hands are handcuffed, and his legs. Rav Yuda, Ari Modina, say to the people, what's the connection between the two verses? In one verse, he talks about a man, find a woman, and marry her. In another verse, he talks about someone put handcuffs on your hands and on your legs. And these two psukim appeared only twice in the whole Tanakh. It shows that there is a connection between them. What's the connection? When you get married, you put your hands in handcuffs and your legs in handcuffs. Moshe, you didn't change the diaper. Moshe, I'm alone here. How long you stay in yeshiva? Moshe is supposed to drive me to Costco. I didn't sign for it. You didn't buy me anything. You didn't remember my... my, my birthday. Honey, we celebrate Jewish birthday. No, by me it's both. <laughs> That's life. But there is a very good advice. Hazal say, if you torture your wife, you become poor. If you're very good with her, you become rich. What's the connection? The Zohar, the Kabbalah is teaching us that in heaven you have a tree. You have the geza, the stem. Then you have the branches. And from the branches you have leaves and fruits. But everything is connected to one root. You have the branch and it's holding hundreds of branches that are coming out of this tree. And on the branches, you have, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 small branches coming out, mini ones. And on the mini ones, you have leaves. But everyone knows if you cut one branch, you take it out, it has a lot of small branches. The women and the money comes from the same branch in Shamaim. There's a direct connection between the woman you're going to marry to the money you're going to make from the minute you got married. It's going to affect and make a big impact on your income. Or for good, or for bad. For instance, if your wife is very not modest, 
Every time she walks in the street, the way she dressed provocative, you lose a portion of your annual income. She's supposed to make a million dollars this year. She walked outside in the street. People look at her. She's happy to show her body to Tony, to Ahmed, to Vini, to Bruce Lee. Every time someone looks at her, it costs you something. Ten dollars, another ten, another twenty, another thirty. No joke. By the end of the year, you made fifty thousand. Rabbi, can you, do you know any gmach to help us out? Why well, you have such a good business, what happened? Don't ask. You know, I invested some money and the people don't pay. It's very hard time. Of course, his wife is not modest. Destroy this parnasa. If it's the other way around, increase the parnasa. So the question is now, why the Gemara say if you make your wife happy, you become rich, and if you torture her, it makes you poor, takes away your blessing. Why? What's the connection? I'll finish with that. When Hashem saw Adam and Eve eating from the tree, each one of them got a curse. Adam got a curse. You're going to sweat very much to bring bread to the table. Your life should have been paradise. You didn't have to work very hard for the money. I would feed you in a miraculous way. Nobody has to work, to sweat, stress, problem, unemployment, fighting, court cases, traffic. None of that was a part of the plan. You didn't listen to me. I told you not to touch the food. You ate. You're going to suffer for eternity. From what? The land is cursed for you. Very hard to grow, to take care of the wheat, the barley, to cut it, to carry it, to make bread. Wow, so much, so much pain. Everything should have been ready for you from Shemaim. Now you're going to learn the hard way. What doesn't come through the head, comes through the legs. The land is scarce for you, and it will be full of worms. You take one leaf of lettuce, you look with a magnified glass, 50 worms. 200 worms sometimes. Crawling. Wash it with a brush, this, put it in salt water, uh, soap water. What's all this headache? Broccoli, you cannot eat. You have to cut the flowers from the top. There's no way to clean it. Parsley, this, that. Oh. Many people don't eat vegetables. Afraid, all these greens. Or they pay six times more. Gush Katif, special, growing on beach sand, growing in water. What's all this headache for? Cares. The Averot makes worms goes to all the food. And every worm is five sins from the Torah. A person eats Caesar salad in a diner, 500 steaks of pork in one Caesar salad. At least 100 worms in one salad, at least, if not 500. Each worm is five isuri in Torah. Six. Six isuri. Yeshua fixing me. Six. Six, I think, if it flies. If it flies, it's six. If it crawls, it's five. But we'll check. So, do you get the point? So what's the connection? Hashem say, 
the woman got three curses. They are all connected. It's actually one. One is the three. She is going to suffer very much in a pregnancy. Nine months, wow, back pain, sweating, vomiting, all these things. It shouldn't have been that way. Then when she gave birth, she screamed, she cares, she want to kill anyone around her from the pain. And then 18 to 20 years to raise the children, not knowing what, come out, what will come out of them. Maybe you have another Adolf come to the world, you don't know. Or Yasser, or Ismail, you know, or Bernie Sanders. You put your life into that kid. Abba, I have news. What? I'm coming out of the closet today. I spent a million dollars of you to hear this nonsense from your mouth. Oof, it's so primitive. Why don't you go back to Iraq? This is America, dead, grow up. The poor father had a dream, one day he will have grandkids. Tov, maybe they'll import one kid from Brazil. Better than not having any grandkids, Tov. Tov, no, that's the situation of, of today's world. So Abotai, the woman, have three curses. One, it's nine months of pregnancy. Second, it's very painful giving birth. And three, being with the children, diapers, this, feeding them, doctors, vaccine. It's going crazy. Mental breakdown. All of that from one second scene. One second. That's it. Millions and millions and millions of women cursed the day they were born in a delivery room. Why? From their mother, Chava, Em Kol Chai, and it's over. Same thing, Adam. Every day, five hours on the LAE, back and forth from Great Neck to Manhattan. Making a million dollars a year, half a million goes to. Sleepy Joe and Bernie. How can it not break the heart? It's not worth to work. It's not worth it to work, Rabbi. Half of my money goes to all these liberals who hate Hashem. Maybe I should also come to join your yeshiva. <laughs> Better, less headache. Why am I telling you all of that? This is the punchline. So, the curse of the man is hard living, to make a living. The curse of the woman is giving birth and, you know. But there is another curse that the woman got. Your husband will rule you. That's why his name is Baal, Balabait. Owner, that's why he buys you. You have to give him respect like a king. He has also a list of requirements. He has to treat you like a princess and take care of you. Okay. But what's your obligation? You have to look at him like he's a king. And, what, and you have to give him respect. He comes to the house. You have to stand. You have to treat him like, literally like a king. 
And he has to be the final word. There's no feminism in the Torah. It's a man-made man nonsense. Man has his job in life, women has their job in life. You can mix. Shatness, don't mix. So now, if the woman made money, her money belongs to her husband. For that, he gives her ktuba, bill of rights, that she will never be neglected if he dies or they get divorced. She'll get a big amount of money. He has to feed her, he has to give her a place to live, clothes to wear, everything she needs. But if she's a, some successful banker, she make, I don't know, $20,000 a week, and he's avrech in yeshiva, make $600 a month. All her money belongs to him, and he has the final say what to do with that. She can say to him, I don't want ktuba. I don't want rights. I'll feed myself and you feed yourself. I'll make my own money and take care of all my needs. And you don't control my money. It's possible. But if she wants bill of rights, ktuba, that he will pay the rent or the mortgage and he will pay everything to give her a guarantee, security, whatever she make or find in the street, lost object, I don't know, belongs to him. She make the money and he can decide to what, what to there to get to the son. She wants the, this rabbi, he wants that rabbi. It's his world. But I made the money. Your money belongs to the man. That's what the Torah says. He will rule you. But when someone rules you, you normally hate him. You don't desire him. But Hashem made reverse psychology here. Something that is against the law of nature. As much as the man will rule you and be tough, you would be more attracted to him. You know how many times women tell me, Rabbi, this shiduch is not for me. Why? Such a nice guy. I need a real man. Real man to control me. To tell me what to do. To make me feel safe. In other words, this is exactly what the Torah says. She doesn't want a little sissy. <laughs> if you know what it means. She wants a real man. Everything I want, he say yes, darling. Too, not for me, it's too nice. Kadima, Rabbi, I need a real man. Find me someone, you sure? Yes. I want him to tell me what to do. Trust, I, try, I promise you, it's not a, a lot of women that will tell you that. So even though he rules her, she should resent him. Right? If you have a boss at work, you normally don't like him so much. Why you don't like him? All day he tells me what to do. But here is the other way around. But it's only subject to one more condition that he behaves in decent way. Not abusing, not violent, not cursing. Husband like this, you have to divorce. You go to the bedding, they force him to give you a get. You don't have an obligation to live with a monster who beat you up. If it happened one time, you have the right to decide to forgive or not to forgive. Second time, that's it. Third time, chazaka already. There's nothing to talk about. 
Some people are violent, they can't control their anger. They use their hands or they do other things. Can't live, the Torah doesn't want you to live with such a monster. It starts with punches and ends with a murder. But Rabotai, now comes the punchline. The Torah says, listen, if you are nice to your wife, you don't rule her too much. You let go. Buy yourself what you want. I'm not checking the credit card bills. What couch you want? This one, it costs three times more. Make me happy, Moshe. Yalla. You're happy, I'm happy. Easy going. Gives her a break. Because he makes her happy. He takes away from her cares. What's her cares? Your men will rule you and dominate you, right? He let go. His power, he can do whatever he wants. But he said, no. I give you equal rights. I let you do decide in which one you want. This one, no problem. This one, no problem. Which guest you want this Shabbat? This and this and that. You sure? Yeah, okay, we'll go with that. Everything that he can, of course, if she has a shalom, wants to do things against the Torah, it's not allowed. But things that, you know, he can live with, even though he didn't prefer that. He let go. Hashem is very happy from it. Meaning you don't take advantage on the power I gave you to rule her. You ease the cares from her. I will ease the cares from you. So now you don't have to work so hard to make money. All of a sudden, business is booming. Rabbi, where should I send donation? What do you mean? Just two months ago you told me you need help from the Gemach. Rabbi, Hashem brought Corona. It happened to me. No, Corona, everyone is unemployed, except me. I just stole the million mask. <laughs> Became a multi-millionaire, this Hasid. Another Hasid. Rabbi, I would like to start supporting Kiruv after so many years of listening to you. What happened all of a sudden? You're an Avrech Kolel. I bought a portable lab to do vaccine, uh, corona tests. The government paid the CD, I don't know, $100, $150 for each test. All day, people in the street testing, $150, $150, $150, $150. Mendel became rich. If you're nice to your wife, you're easygoing, you're not stingy, you're not angry, you're not too much of a dictator, Hashem is the weight of the Parnassah from your head. Money comes much easier, no fights, no tenants that don't pay the rent, running to court, fighting, screaming, lawyers, all the lies. Easy going Parnassah. Why? The Gemara says, respect your wives, treat them in the right way, that you become wealthy. You want to argue with Chazal? With me, you can argue all you want. You want to argue with Chazal? Chazal tell you, you want to become rich? And if you make your wife cry, oh, what's waiting for you? Now, I know some women say, ah, I don't buy it. My ex, you know how much he tortured me? And he's a multimillionaire, and he doesn't even pay me child support. What does it mean, multimillionaire? He has five million dollars. 
If he would treat you nice, he would have $500 million. He will find out when he dies. If he will find out that every time he screamed at you or cursed at you or pushed you or I don't know what, cost him hundreds of thousands of dollars, believe me, he would never do it. Because what doesn't come through the head, come through the legs. ברוך אדוני לעולם, אמן ואמן. רבי חנניה בן הקשיא אומר, רצה הקדוש ברוך הוא לזכות את ישראל, לפיכך הרבה להם תורה ומצוות, שנאמר אדוני חפץ למען צדקו, יגדיל תורה ויאדיר.